Hey, let's welcome Sister Vonnie Marshall as she comes today to preach the word and teach us in this class. God bless her. Praise the Lord. <laughs> One of these days they're going to make pulpits a little shorter. <laughs> I'm not a high heels. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Yes. I bet you're still taller than me, though. Most people in America are. <laughs> I'm not a high heels kind of lady, so... Or a ladder person. <laughs> I told Sister Jean when I arrived at the airport that whenever I see her and Pastor Jean, I feel like I've been back at Alexandria because I know that he's from there. <laughs> and we miss him whenever he's there. He's such a blessing. Sister Jean comes there at BOTT every year, they both. And they, they're like part of the staff there. You see the kind of response I'm getting here when I said that. They think that I've come here to kind of coax you or put some black magic to take you back. I'm saved. I'm no more that. <laughs> I never was that, actually. <laughs> I do have a unique testimony. But I'm so honored to be here. And we had, uh, as your pastor said, we had um, 15 get the Holy Ghost at ladies' conference, and I think that the ladies say that, that that's never happened. But when, when, yeah, and when people came up and said, I've had arthritis for 10 years and it's all gone, you know God is present. Amen. Now, I, I did not know that Bella was from, from here, I'm, and I just saw a beautiful Chinese girl, and I went up to her and I said, where are you, where are you from? And she's like, where do you think? I mean, sorry. <laughs> No, I mean, are you from here? And that's what I mean. Like when people ask me, you know, where are you from? I'll say, I'll say well, Louisiana. And then they look at me like I'm lying. <laughs> you don't look Louisiana. I'm like, hey, my accent can't get more southern than this. <laughs> people in Illinois will believe I'm from Louisiana. People from Louisiana don't believe it. <laughs> so I told Bella... Bella, you want the Holy Ghost? She, was, she couldn't even talk. She was just out of it. and She got the Holy Ghost probably about 60 seconds flat. And then this morning when I woke up, when I tried to wake up, <laughs> this morning when I woke up, God spoke to me and said that, and I was praying for here, and I said, God, I want you to speak to the people because these people, you know, they know you, they have a relationship with you, they love you. And he said, he showed me Bella's face. I wasn't thinking of Bella when I prayed this morning. And he said, this is going to represent the sudden outpouring that I'm going to give this church. And there's going to be people, and not necessarily people or internationals, but all people in Salem to come in. Because there are people... America has become the most multicultural nation in the world. I know Europe is multicultural, but Europe is still struggling with a lot of the spirit of Antichrist. They, they fight that. You know, that's their big battle. 
And when you look around and you think, well, America, we're fighting Antichrist. So I know. But there is a hunger level in the United States right now that has never been as, as intense as now. Nobody really laid hands on Bella. God filled her with the Holy Ghost when she stepped out. If you would believe that with me. And God promised that this morning. God said, I want to pour out because there is a hunger level here. And I want to bring people through those double doors, through your entrance doors, that you may not have even reached. They will suddenly appear. They will come. They'll say... They'll say, I live here and I've, I've passed your church on the highway because you can see this building from that highway. And uh, I don't know what y'all are and what denomination, but I want God. That's it. And that's how people are going to happen. And God began to show me people flooding in in a vision at about 645 this morning. And God began to show me a vision, people flowing in. And then he began to again show me Bella. And he said, who laid hands on Bella? I said, well, there was a group of women. He said, but nobody prayed her through. They were praying with her, but they were not praying for her to receive it. I filled her all by myself. And I will do that for the people of this community. Salem, get ready. There are people coming. I believe that at 10.30 this morning, by the time it's 11.30, there's going to be a bunch of people. Get the Holy Ghost healed, baptized, if there has been a struggle, if there's been a struggle in your private life, yeah, when I mean by struggle in your private life, you know, you reach people and then you reach them and you reach them, there's no response. And then they suddenly respond to somebody else from the Methodist church. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you're like, whatever, you know, at least I got the Holy Ghost. And, um, You get frustrated. You know, even Louisiana. You know, when I first, I wasn't born here, of course. I was born in Asia, but I moved here many, many years ago. And This is my home. I'm American. But you know what? There is, sometimes people put up those, those when you're trying to reach people. <laughs> when I first came here, I thought the Bible belt was something you wore. <laughs> I thought it was an accessory. <laughs> Lord Jesus. Anyway, so even down there, you know, there, there's such a war. There's such a battle to distract you and to distract me so that we think people don't really need what I've got because they're finding it in yoga and therapy and counselors and medicine and the end of a bottle. But I tell you what, they want what you've got. They just need us. To go there boldly and not fear rejection. Don't fear rejection. If you can get past rejection, nothing, you can be stopped doing nothing. Now is not the time to be complacent. Now is not the time to just sit back and say, well, you know what? This is, now is not the time to say, hey, pastor, this is a northern, this is middle, this is Illinois, okay? We've got 200, 300 people. Let's just be happy and celebrate that. That's like having 3,000 in Texas. No, the revival to the northern states because people are hungry. The system is breaking down. The system that they trust them in is not working anymore. 
It's not working. That's why they feel and look so lost and they are desperate. And in their desperation, they are picketing, they are marching, they are doing all kinds of things because they are angry and they are mad. They don't even know who they are mad at. They think they've been forsaken, so they've taken things in their own stride and their own flesh. And they're doing it out of anger. But they actually want one person to say, there is hope beyond any of this. No policy is going to change your life. But God can. Man, there is a hunger. Don't let media scare you to say everybody's in, you know. This is middle America. I, I, you drove us through. And I was like, my God, these people feed us. All we've got, there's crawfish, which nobody really wants. They eat it because that's all there is. I mean, your state feeds the rest of us. Do you know what that means spiritually? When you feed people spiritually, that means you become the providing arm of God. You think God forgets that? You think God forgets a people that will work the land and feed the rest of humanity in this nation? Every time my husband... Does corn on the cob these days. I'm going to talk about Illinois. <laughs> I'm saying, you know where that came from? Let's thank God for Illinois. <laughs> My voice is shot because of ladies' conference. I hope you bear with me, but I, I sound like Sister Jean, so it's all right. <laughs> no, I sound, we sound alike, okay. We're kind of cousins. <laughs> I want to just get into this. Psalms 42, 1, 2, one and two. I want to talk to you today about being heart smart. Heart smart. Heart healthy. In the scripture in Psalms 42, one and two, as the deer panted after the water brooks, I think we have it in the screen, right? Yeah. So panted my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsted for, the God, for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? We want to skip to verse 7 here now. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. John chapter 4, 13 and 14. If you, don't, if you don't have that on the screen, I'm just going to read it out. John chapter 4 is where Jesus stood up. You know, the priests were carrying water for the sacrifice to the temples. It was the day of the feast. And he saw people carrying, you know, seven buckets and going up and down and pouring and filling it. And he just stood up. And that's the context of those scriptures, why he shouted. Scripture says, he stood up and shouted. He wasn't in a sit down in the synagogue teaching mode. You know, sort of softer. It was a very loud voice. He shouted. He said, everyone who drinks this water. He 
was referring to the buckets of water people were dragging, carrying big buckets, pouring it into what was going to be in the temples. And he said, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. This is what you're seeing here is just religious acts. You know, they're hoping that these religious acts will somehow bring them contentment and joy and peace and strength when everything else is breaking down. And then he says, but whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty. I want to come to a place in my life where I am not constantly looking for the next high, the next apple toy, the next whatever, the next leadership book. I've got nothing against all of that. We've got some great authors and writers that have helped churches grow through some good principles. But sometimes we can get into a place where unless it's new and exciting, that God doesn't have anything new and exciting anymore. Unless it's new and exciting, I'm going to just sit around and wait for the next new and exciting. Where Jesus said, seek the ancient ways. Go through the ancient paths. There's nothing new under heaven so if you hear for the next five ten years I hope the Lord didn't take that long but anyway if you hear the next five ten twenty years same old quote unquote messages on be filled pray fast be filled pray fast go win souls don't let those words cause you to sigh with an inward weariness and say, well, we've done it. We've not seen anything yet. But what you do may not just be for you, but the generation that comes after you. Stop thinking inwardly. Remember, live in a state that feeds others. <laughs> if you deprive your soul of spiritual water, your soul will tell you. You remember those old cars? Well, I remember an old car. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you when I was born. Then there will be some mathematics done here. Then you'll know why I wear flats and not heels. <laughs> I can't skip down those steps. <laughs> but anyway, those old cars will have the low fluid indicator on the dashboard. <laughs> Nowadays, it all lights up like a club. <laughs> You're like, whoa, <laughs> that's like a disc attack. <laughs> now you know when I was born. <laughs> you don't use those words anymore, do we? <laughs> now it's like it's computer. I'm like, I just want to drive my car. I don't want it to talk to me. If I needed company, I would go to somewhere else. But, but it had a low fluid indicator. And, I, you know, you, you fill water when, yeah, in my, my, in my case, I fill water when I see or smell smoke. <laughs> I'm like, I think it's water filling time. God created us with a low fluid indicator. 
You deprive your, your, your body from water. Oh, your body will tell you. I mean, it's not just your tongue cleaves to your, the roof of your mouth, but you know, you, you, you would just feel everything. I mean, your spleen, your kidney, your hair follicles all need water to grow and thrive. Dehydrated hearts send desperate messages, snarling tempers, waves of worry, despair, guilt, fear. And God doesn't want his children to live with hopelessness, sleeplessness, loneliness, resentment, irritability, insecurity. These are warnings. Symptoms of a dryness deep within. And I must treat my soul like just like I treat my natural thirst. I need to take a long cool drink of water. Imbibe moisture. Flood my heart with a good swallow of H2O. And only then I can be spiritually transformed. Yes, I know you've heard this before. Be full of the Holy Ghost. Don't worry, Vani. We've heard pastors say this. It's like a mantra here. It's like he says it all. Be full of the Holy Ghost. Be full of the Holy Ghost. You don't know. I'm just trying to work two jobs and go home, pay the bills, and keep my nose clean and raise some decent kids. I don't even have time to be full of the Holy Ghost. Well, we've got to make time. If you want to continue to raise those decent kids and keep your nose clean, we've got to be full of the Holy Ghost. Only then I will have authority and the power to come against every devil that comes against my family. Comes against my walk with God. Comes against my city. And you know the truth is, there is another reason why, especially now, in this generation, in this juncture of your life, in this juncture of the political climate or anything that we live in, we need the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because we're exhausted. We're tired. Well, you may not be. None of you look tired. I am. And it's not because of ladies' conference. Maybe I stay tired. One of, some of the, one of the things, um, I, 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 I'm honored to oversee the prayer department at our church. But I'm also their professional counselor. I, I, from Monday to sometimes Saturday, and that's not very smart of me. I need to take care of myself better. But from Monday to Saturday, 9 o'clock in the morning till 4 p.m. in the afternoon, I counsel. I know. And I hear story after story. And I'm talking about, um, you know, therapy. But I'm an apostolic. So there's no therapy with the Holy Ghost. And this is what I ask most of my clients. I'm not trying to be smart with them or trying to make them feel bad. Many of them come with genuine brokenness and, and horrific experiences and loneliness and getting divorced or somebody has betrayed them. And they've been hurt and they've been broken. Or the children have run away from home. Somebody is suicidal. And they come to me when Sister Cheryl picked me up from the airport. You know, people were texting me then. Where are you? I'm like, Illinois, thank God. <laughs> Nowhere near you. <laughs> Sorry. No, I didn't say that. I thought it. But I didn't say it. I said, I'm in, I'm in Illinois. What are you doing? That This is a client. I don't know why I give them my phone number. And uh, what are you doing in Illinois? Well, what do you want? I know it. What, what do you need? 
Well, I'm losing my mind. My, my, my child is saying this. My husband is doing that. My car doesn't start. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. If you were merciful, I'd move here. But seriously, some of them have genuine problems. And most of them do. Some of them just want your attention. They'll be careful. There are two groups of people in your life. Some will take your advice and run with it and change or make some, try to make some changes. Those are the kind of people you can invest in. But the others, there are people just want your time. They don't have any interest in taking your advice and changing. They just want your attention. So be careful. You know, you can still love them, but from a distance. Like at Walmart, you can wave at them from another aisle. Sorry, I got to go. I've got to feed my alligator. <laughs> you can use that excuse in Louisiana. I have a pet alligator. I got to feed it. Gets real nasty when it's hungry. I'm sorry. I'm just tired <laughs> this morning. And I need to do something to stir myself up. Physically tired, but God has given me that strength. We're exhausted. We are. Pastor, you got to tell me when I got to land the plane, okay? We're exhausted taking care of family needs, working two jobs, caring for the kids. We stretch ourselves so much. And the truth is, we are too often caught up in a joyless life, trying to make church one of the things we clock in and clock out so that we feel that our conscience is satisfied. So many of us come to church. I'm not talking about you necessarily. I'm talking about the hundreds of people that I counsel every day. But you know what? Um, it, it's, it's like I see that people are caught up. Sometimes I catch myself living a joyless life because I have made church not the center. I'm not talking about a building, by the way. I'm talking about living for Jesus because you are the church. This building made of brick and cement or whatever houses the church. But you are the church. This building is not the church. And this church, this building uh, gives you a platform on which you can celebrate each other and what God has done for you. At least once a week. At least. Every day would be great, huh? But that just makes people fearful. We're going to have church every day. What? I'm leaving this baptized. I'm going to be baptized overnight. They've got more sense. They only have church on Sunday. You want us to come prayer meeting and fall meeting and Christmas meeting. Pentecostals, y'all are just crazy people, you know. We're so often caught up in a joyless life of trying to get better on our own. And so we make church part of the weekly event. It's an event. And Sunday comes along and you're like, it's Sunday. We take a big sigh. We hop out of bed. We get dressed. We don't really smile at each other because it's work. Sorry, Lord, that I've made you work just, you know, something I've just got to do. Otherwise, I'll get a nasty letter from Pat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not that pastor. Like my clients. Where are you? You're not allowed to have a vacation. 
We hope that if we try to keep going to this building and trying to live by the rules, we hope, and rules are important, we hope that somehow, at some point, one of the rules, and one day, it will change us. So Monday to Saturday, we don't connect with him really because I know two jobs. Are you kidding me? I've got two jobs. I'm a full-time, prof- I'm a full-time psychologist and I am also full-time in the church. So I've got two jobs. And I'm doing this. And, and before I leave and, and, and travel anywhere, what I do is because my husband likes home-cooked food. You know, he does. He just doesn't like, you know, restaurant food a lot. And, and, he's, and he works hard. He works harder than I do. But I, what I like to do, and thank God I like cooking. So I will cook for three or four days, make different things, and then put it in the freezer or whatever and let him. So he'll have home-cooked food. I'm not bragging that I'm all right or whatever. I just don't want him to call me. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just, that's not true. Man, that was a Freudian slip. No, that's, where'd that come from? You know the text I got from that wasn't my husband. Where are you? Baby, I just want you to know I have, I'm in Illinois. <laughs> no, that's not true. But, you know, he appreciates it. He texted me this morning. He said, I'm, I've just put one of whatever you made, I put those ribs in the, in the, in the oven again. And, and I'm like, well, good for you. I'm so happy. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Oh, but the devil, you know what he does? He, he prances through our minds because we've made, we've made attending this beautiful building, this church, this right here, having church in your, in your basketball court. Is it basketball? Of course. Uh, I'm not sports savvy. <laughs> and um, reminds me of the church my husband and I pastored in New Zealand. We were missionaries to New Zealand a long time ago in it was just like this. It was so marvelous. God just met us in a huge way. I came and I'm thinking I'm home. You know. <laughs> and the devil prances through your mind, your office, your home, your marriage, your classrooms. He brings bills you cannot pay. And grades you don't think you can make. And people you cannot please. I'm sorry. We just better wake up. We're not going to be able to please everybody no matter how many times you smile. Alcohol, you cannot resist. A career, you cannot escape. A past, you cannot shake. And a future, you don't want to face. The joy offered by God is a joy different than the one promised by the car dealership. Or the new house with two swimming pools. One cold, one hot. (laughs) Why do people have two swimming pools? I'll never forget. But anyway. It's not the same joy that you get the buzz that you get when you're in the shopping mall. God is not interested in putting on a temporary smile on your face because the bank account looks healthier than it did last month. He doesn't want you to have anything temporary. He already knows you are stuck in a fleshly body that is temporary. He wants everything else to be heavenly, to be beyond the transient, to be permanent. He's not interested in for us to get a major breakthrough Sunday morning only to lose it by Thursday afternoon. 
because somebody was just nasty to you at work or your schoolmate was not pleasant to you or the wife just freaked out, <laughs> you know. Oh, the husband is just too busy to, to engage with the kids and with you and you can't because it's been alone and he's working so hard. He's not engaging as much and it doesn't seem the same anymore like when you first married and you let all of that get on you and you're thinking, I'm a Christian but I'm not happy. What's the equation there? Where did I go wrong? Where is Jesus? I'm a Christian. I'm tired and I'm not happy. not just you that's everybody that's so many people I've met as I travel and I travel almost non-stop but it's 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 a lot of us and he doesn't condemn us for being exhausted he knows we are trapped in a body that is dying he doesn't condemn us for being tired he doesn't not at all but he's trying to get your attention He's shouting from the portals of heaven, drink, 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 drink. Because if you drink this water, you'll thirst again. When you have that big knockdown, drag out fight, you're going to go and sulk in the room and not feel me. If you drink this water, you're going to try to want to feel me in church rather than know that I'm there even when you don't feel me. You're wanna, gonna try to feel me in a particular favorite worship song. You're gonna try to wanna feel me in a, oh, well, I feel, I feel God now. Why? Because well, that song, man, makes me feel Him. But what if, what if the sermon is not what you wanna hear and none of your favorite numbers are being sung by the choir? What are you going to do then? You're going to go home and tell, well, I didn't feel it today. Please don't try to feel God. Don't try to feel God because the heart, the Bible says, he said it. The heart is desperately wicked when nobody can feel anything. The heart is deceitful. Here, when you're in a mood, you're not going to feel him. When you're in a good mood, you'll think you're going to feel him. The Bible says, be still and know. So no matter how bad it gets, my friend, know that he's there. Know that he's in the car, in the middle of a debt, in the middle of cancer, in the middle of your hospital visits, in the middle of a backslidden son and a drug addict daughter and a homosexual relative. God is in the middle of it all. No, be still and no. You know, a lot of my life, I'm just walking from terminal A to terminal E. Or terminal B to terminal D. Sometimes I don't even know what terminal it's in. I forget by the time I get there. Because of my travel stuff. and I try not to think about tomorrow because it's so overwhelming. Schedule wise. So I take Jesus' advice. Good thing. that, And he said, don't worry about tomorrow. Where are you at today? You fed up? You tired? You want to quit your job? 
quit the relationship. Not talk to anybody when you go home. Let it be quiet, Lord. Let not the kids be screaming and running around and the wife wanting me to do 10 different things on the list. Let me just go in and shut the door to my den, my man cave, my whatever, and just forget that for a while I can just be quiet because so much noise when I get out there. You can't shut yourself away from people that lean on you, want to talk to you, want to engage. You can maybe for about a short while, but after a while they're going to look for you, call the cops. <laughs> I was counseling a married couple the other day, and when I do married couples, I, do them toge- I, I, I counsel them together, and then I, I counsel the men separately and the women separately, and then they come forth together, because sometimes they want to share things freely without, you know, And the man just said, I love my wife and my children. I just don't, I'm not happy. And I know it's not my wife not making me happy. My kids are smart. They do well in school. My wife's a good woman. I really love them. But I don't know what's happened. I I know I've got the Holy Ghost. Maybe I don't. I just need you to tell me, how do I get happy? I said, sir. Happy is here today and gone tomorrow. Happy depends on your pocketbook. Happy depends on everything working out just right and a promotion and the boss not getting on your nerves. Happy depends on all the bills paid and and you're healthy and everything is okay and the car starts in winter. Happy is schizophrenic, sir. You know why happy is schizophrenic? Because today it's there and tomorrow it eludes you. Happy is about five minutes. I'm challenging you to forget happy and go for joy. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is a knowing. Joy is never been a feeling. God has never promised a feeling. God has never said, sir. I mean, he looked at me like I was schizophrenic. He was like, what do you mean joy is not a feeling? I said, joy, joy. God never said, if I'm in your life, you're going to feel joy. He said, the joy of the Lord is your source, your strength, your energy. It will energize you. He said, but, but, but I said, it's not just you. Me too. Christians all over have confused joy and happy. You see, they think joy is the smiley face. No, that's happy. Happy is the smiley face. Joy doesn't have a face. Joy is a knowledge that no matter the tsunami in your life, no matter the storms in your life, God is coming through. You can wake up tomorrow and something is going to happen. Something good. God is planning something great for you. Don't look at what's going on in your environment. Don't, don't live reactively, but proactively. But we are reactionary Christians. Something goes wrong. We fall on our face at church. We will travail for an hour because somebody we love has cancer. And the doctor has given them a short time to live. That's when we call out to him. Lord, if you would do this, I would do anything for you. 
See, we're desperate. Desperation is good because it sometimes drives us back. But if you're going to live like that all the time and you want God to squeeze you in a corner and put you in a corner before you would call out, that's dangerous living. You won't be able to take that because God doesn't want to put you in a corner every time to get your attention. So, guess what? I have nothing new to say. I just want to tell you. I want to tell me that after all the counseling, after all the hard work that you gentlemen and women do every day in this beautiful city, you've got to shut yourself with God. And if you don't have quiet in the house because the kids are running everywhere and everything, or you just don't have your private space and you've got a little car, and this, this man actually told me, he's a builder, you know. He works with his hands. Big old, tough, gentle person. He was just unhappy. He said, I don't have space. We've got six kids. I'm like, well, no wonder you're not happy. I'm scared. I'm scared. No. Oh, well, I, I know the answer. He said, I don't. I mean, I, I pray in the bathroom, Sister Marshall. I'm like, yeah. What do I do? I said, you got a truck? I said, yeah. Does it move? Yeah. Drive away. <laughs> he, he, oh, he, he, his eyes lit up then. He thought, really? Yeah. Just for an hour a day. You got to come back. I know you're tempted to just keep driving. But you got to come back. Don't do that. You'll be ready to come back. Drive away. Go to some park, a duck pond. And you like music? Yes, ma'am. But my wife doesn't like the kind of worship songs I like. And I like the country worship songs. I'm like, okay. My wife, you know, she likes all those new, I don't know, stuff on radio. Well, you know what? It's your truck. You put on whatever you want and you crank it up. You can crank it up that you cannot even hear her voice in your head. And no, I'm just kidding. And you just go somewhere, lock your car, and have a time with the Lord that she cannot recognize you when you get back home. The joy offered by God. I would tell you something Jesus has no interest. In giving you a shallow happiness that melts like ice cream in the heat of adversity. Jesus wants to give you a deep-seated, heartfelt, honest-to-goodness, ballistic, strong joy that can weather the tsunamis in your life. And Peter, the apostle, referred to this joy in the opening words of his epistle. If you read First Peter, you know, Peter wrote an epistle too. And he said, whom having not seen, you love. You haven't seen Jesus in person, maybe in a dream or a vision, but not in person. But you love. That's joy. You're not looking for pocketbook proof. Oh, the kids are all doing great. They're getting great grades. I'm full of joy. No, that's happy. He said, whom having, whom having not seen. 
you love, in whom though now you see him not yet believe. You rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That joy will keep you walking in your salvation. That joy is going to be what lassos you and keeps you close to him. That no matter what, you're going to say, my whole life is going to pot. I'm in the middle of a divorce, but I got a hold of something. I'm not going to let it go. That's joy. That's joy up here. Nothing here, maybe. Maybe you're numb here. Maybe you don't feel a thing here. Oh, but that joy is strong. That joy is what made you get up today and this morning on a rainy day here and drive through those roads and come here because you feel something is going to happen today. Something, somehow, I'm going to get a little bit more strength, a little bit more bread for the journey. Peter was... You know who Peter was speaking to when he wrote 1 Peter, that those scriptures in 1 Peter 1, 8, 8, 8 to 9, when he said, you know, you, you've not seen him, but you believe. You've not seen him, but you love. He was talking to persecuted Christians. He was not talking to Christians who lived fairly comfortable lives like you and me. He was talking about Christians whose family members were crucified. He was talking to Christians whose family members or Christians who were themselves in jail. Who were being whipped and flogged, killed. They were being martyred. Peter was talking to persecuted Christians when he said, Whom having not seen, you love. In whom though you now see him not, through all the flogging and the People spitting at you, mocking you, rejecting you. You have seen your husbands and your children hung and, and, and crucified on the tree. Yet you believe. When I realized he was talking to persecuted Christians, he was not talking to a Christian like me that has a percolator at home and a refrigerator, you know. That I could just, not even looking at it, switch and the light comes on. Switch it off and the light goes on. I've never been in jail in my life. I'm not sure whether I have got it in me to withstand it even. Or to withstand a crucifixion. Never mind a crucifixion, even a, a slap or two. I don't, I'm not sure I have that. I want that. And that is not just Holy Ghost strength. It's Holy Ghost joy. It's the joy that would look at the nails and say, It's alright. I know it's going to hurt. I know rejection from family and those that you love that don't understand why you have to be this way or pray this way or believe this way. But you've got a, something, a hold of something and that something is joy. Don't look at the mirror and look for a smile. But look for a twinkle in the eye and a holy determination. A set of your jaw and a holy determination in your eyes. That's the joy he was talking about. A joy that will look the devil in the eye and say, You can touch my body, but you cannot touch my soul. You cannot kill me, for the keys of hell, death, and the grave are in his hands. Am I making sense or stirring somebody here? 
Would you lift up your hands? If you feel stirred enough this morning to pursue that joy, then the only way, the only way that joy can come is if you are filled and you are full of his spirit. Not filled one time. Filled is one time, the first time. Full is every time. Full is every day. You don't have to wait till Sunday morning to get it. You can get it Thursday afternoon in your truck, in your car, in your home, in your school. What has been taken from you? And I'm closing. Is it your health, your house? Have you buried a dream? I know I have. You know, my grandmother raised me and I buried her. I buried my daddy three or four three years ago with cancer, but he had the Holy Ghost before he died. That's powerful. Have you buried a marriage? Buried a friend? And you look at these burial plots in your life. Is your joy buried there too? Is it because you've tried to live for God hard and, and good and you've really tried to be good and you thought you were doing well and all of a sudden someone betrays you or just dies on you? Is your dream buried there and your joy buried there? Then go back to that cemetery and take back what's been buried there. Say goodbye and move on because if it's somebody you lost and they are in the Lord, you will see them again. If it is something you lost, then God is able to give you something better. But don't substitute courageous joy for contingent happiness. Courageous joy is joy that will look at the burial plots in your life and say, this too shall pass. It's hurting right now. And I feel the effects of a dagger. But it will pass. And I see Jesus walking on the water. And he's bidding me come. Come out of this boat. But contingent happiness is sets you up for unbearable disappointment. Contingent happiness says you'll be happy when. You'll be happy when you have a new house or new relationship. I'll be happy when I'm healed, when I have a better job. Contingent happiness depends upon the right circumstance. And it won't last as long as the circumstances last. A new house gets old and relationships get old. And they can disappoint. And by the time you reach old age, you've ridden a roller coaster of hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment. It's just a roller coaster. And Jesus doesn't want you stuck in some monster ride in a bark. But courageous joy. How many here, you've suffered pain. I'm going to put my hand up because I have. Pain and disappointment. But then when it came to a prayer meeting on Sunday, you just grit your teeth and you sucked it up and said, I'm going to play ball. Then you know what? Keep your hand up, please. Those that, whose hands you, that I see raised up, you are soldiers of Christ. And the enemy has seen your metal. He has seen that your spine is made of iron. And you're not a quitter. And you're not going to stop. And no storm is going to make you back off or back down. But you're going to push back. 
push back the enemy push back the forces of lying push back every lie that has been told to you that you are forsaken of God that you are forsaken by the Lord and you're going to grit your teeth and get your children by their hand and get your family by their hand and say you know what we're going to do this we're going to do this we're going to move on. We're going to walk up. But let me tell you one of the most insidious things that the enemy does. He may not knock you out of attending church. That might be just too much of a challenge for Satan. Especially if you've been going through a storm and you still believe. Well, you're not going to get knocked out of church. You've just, you're stronger than that. But he'll try to get you worn out. He'll try to get you weary. He'll try to get you tired so that church becomes a, one of the things you just got to do like going to work. It'll make you complacent. It'll make you want to be safe. We'll just go there. We'll listen. We'll try to feel God. And then we'll go home. And then just back to the daily grind. And I hope I keep a good spirit. No. No, we, we were created and redeemed and saved and a lot of blood was shed for something better and bigger than exhausted Christians just trying to make it. Let's stand. When you have this courageous joy let me tell you, you cannot be separated from Jesus. The joy cannot be taken from you. Jesus promised that. And this joy will never be taken from you. Death cannot take your joy because Jesus is greater than death. Failure cannot take your joy because Jesus is greater than your failure. Sin cannot take your joy because Jesus has shown that he's greater. His grace is greater than your sin. Sickness cannot take your joy because by his stripes you're healed. Thank you for letting me talk to me today. I need this. I stay exhausted. I'm busy. And I hate that word. My husband is busier. But I have determined in my heart that I'm going to pursue that joy in my mind, in my soul, with everything I've got. So I can stare down every trial and not let it knock me back. God bless you. Let's lift up our hands, Pastor.